It's time for a special edition of VLGA Connect. We have a panel joining us today to talk about a very exciting research project, which is going to run across the next council election cycle. And it's all about the political trajectories of women in local government. Firstly, I welcome the CEO of VLGA, Catherine Arndt. Welcome back to VLGA Connect. Thank you, Chris. And Catherine um, has been instrumental in uh, in, in achieving this research project for the VLGA. And working with her will be Leah Rapana from University of Melbourne and Andrea Carson from La Trobe University. Leah, hello. Hello, thank you for having us. Great to have you with us. And Andrea, welcome. Hi, Chris and Catherine and Leah. <laughs> Hi, Andrea. So let's start, Catherine, firstly, with how did this project come about? Well, Chris, Andrea and I have been talking for a few years now um, about the work that the VLGA does in encouraging and supporting women from diverse backgrounds to run in local government elections. And the project that the VLGA has been running now for the last, oh gee, 17 odd years, where we get a little bit of state funding to, to undertake some work to support women as candidates. We've talked also about what some of the barriers have been that have, I guess, stopped women who've attended the program and then actually not proceeded with running as a candidate. And also some of the challenges that they've experienced throughout their term as a councillor, if they have been elected, and what might then influence their decision to run again in the future. So we've talked about that a few times. We've talked about how local government, perhaps as an initial um, project, might also have some lessons for elected representatives across other levels of government. So it was a, a terrific um, partnership and opportunity. And I must say that really, whilst the VLGA had these initial conversations with Andrew and Leah, both Leah and Andrea were, were instrumental in securing this ARC grant. And certainly without them, we wouldn't be uh, here celebrating today. And I think that actually will call for more balloons. Um. <laughs> so for Leah and Andrea's benefit, our, our uh, editing whiz has been uh, superimposing some special features just of late because we've been celebrating some milestones on the program. So Leah, to bring you in firstly, uh, what do you bring to the table in terms of this, this uh, project? Oh, what don't I bring to the table, Chris? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, no, um, okay, so I have spent the past 15 years looking at the barriers um, to women in employment, right? And then on some level, yeah, in positions of power. And so this is a really exciting way to see what are the things that really create impediments or barriers for women. And I want to be clear, we're looking at women in particular, but we want to hear from the men too, right? So we need a sample, we need an entire sample of all the constituents that are coming in right now up for election, what helps them get in, what happens while they're in these positions, what are the barriers that they face, what are the stresses and the strains, what are the things that help them, right? So we're looking not only at what's going to impose challenges, but also what really helps women stay in or what helps men stay in? And do we see that there are gender differences in this? And so what I bring besides an, ama an amazing American accent is an ability, <laughs> is um, 15 years of looking at really what kind of are the barriers in particular on the home front, looking at um, childcare restrictions, 
house work, the domestic load, but also looking at what happens when women step into employment, what can employers do well, and what do governments do well and don't do well. And how do we bring this kind of knowledge to understand the individual experiences of this incredibly dynamic cohort at an incredibly important historical period of time? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating idea to follow um, these people through the course of the, uh, the term of, of the next council. What about the actual um, campaign part of getting elected or not getting elected? Will that form part of your research as well? I'm going to kick this question to Andrea, who does, right. um, I think this is a perfect question for her, so I'll, I'll kick it sure. away. So our starting point really is the abysmal rate of Australian female political participation. It's 47th in the world and it's been falling. It was up at 15th in the world back in 1999. And it might surprise some people watching this that um, female political participation or female politicians was highest under John Howard at the federal level and that was back in 1998. So, then we started talking about limitations on um, female political participation. We also want to know what encourages women and what the pathways are, maybe from local government to other tiers of government. And campaigning, to your question, Chris, is part of that. Are there things that are different for women in the way that they can campaign compared to men? And we already know from research in the US that women are less likely to have the same level of funding available to them they don't have the developed political networks. And if party um, politics is involved, they're usually not as well entrenched within party politics. So these will be things that we'll be looking at to see whether there's barriers to entry for women compared to men about uh, even beginning with the campaigning process. And we'll be able to achieve this through interviews and also through surveys. When you say 47th in the world, that, that surprised me because um, we're, we're hearing that we're making progress on this front. And perhaps, perhaps I'm just uh, hearing about local government in Victoria. So are you talking about nationally? And um, can we assume that local government in Victoria in terms of representation by women is perhaps ahead of the pack? That's a really good point. Local government is the hero for female political participation compared to the other tiers of government in right. Australia. And I'm sure Catherine can speak to that. And Victoria's mm -hmm. leading. But even so, it's still hovering around 38, 40% in Victoria. Catherine will have the latest figures, which is still below what our society is. You know, we have 51% of our society are women and 49% are men. And we don't see that reflected in our institutions and our most important institutions, which are our political institutions. And until we have that parity, we're not seeing that equality flow on to other areas, especially areas that Leah's interested in, which is workplaces and at home with division of labour. Yeah. And that's a good point that Andrea makes. In fact, unfortunately, Victoria is now, I think, perhaps dropped a little and is no longer the leader in the country. I think Tasmania and, and even South Australia may now be marginally higher in terms of percentage of representation of women in local government. Uh, look, research does indicate, and, and hopefully this research will, will also uh, back that up, that to have that parity around the decision-making table or in the chamber results in better decision-making on behalf of the community. And that's the role of a local government or, or a, a group, <coughs> excuse me, a group of elected representatives of, at local government level and, in fact, at all levels of, of government. 
The other thing that we need to think about here is, is perhaps the work that we're also doing with Gen uh, uh, Vic, and that's looking at applying a gender lens or the importance of applying a gender lens across our policy and economic policy platforms. And I think COVID-19 has highlighted that even more so, that in the times of disaster and pandemics, in the absence of that gender lens, there are significant issues for women. And that is reflected also in the fact that we don't have that parity at the decision-making table. So we've seen women during COVID-19, they're in those roles that are the, the um, you know, the teaching roles, the nursing roles, the, the caring roles, the, the children working and doing their school from home. And the impact that that has on women needs to be incorporated into the way in which we plan for these things in the future. So um, if, if anyone would like to take this question, how? What's the how of this uh, project? What will it look like? Before we get to the how, can I just build on something that Catherine said sure. about um, not having parity and not having the forward thinking, having an equal representation of men and women. Leah and I have already done some preliminary research in the middle of the COVID crisis during lockdowns, um, looking at this gendered lens. And one of the things that we found, which was quite shocking, and Leah can speak to this as well, was um, how women were being affected. They were picking up most of the homeschooling mm. and the childcare and the housework. But also our governments looking at recovery have been looking to industries that are male dominated to lead the way, building and heavy industry that don't have so many women in them. And Leah can tell you a little bit about what we found with what's happening to women's employability during the COVID okay. crisis. Sure. Um, so um, Andrea and I, in the moment of the pandemic happening, we did what everyone did. And we thought, oh, my God, we got to just like hunker down and do and do nothing. And then we had a moment where we thought, no, 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 we really need to get out and collect empirical evidence. Right. Because we can talk about what we think is happening for women. But if we don't have empirics behind it, we really don't know anything. So we did conduct a survey. We got a thousand Australians thousand Americans in conjunction with the US Study Center. And what we found is what actually everyone has been talking about intuitively, which is that women are carrying a larger load at home. They're much more likely to say that they're doing much more of the housework of the childcare than men. Men are doing more, are doing more under the pandemic. That's what our research is showing, that's the evidence. But women are taking up a, a much larger share. And the result of that is that they're they're experiencing much more anxiety. They're not sleeping well. They're not feeling calm. Three in five men report that they are feeling calm most or almost all of the time. I mean, that is like incredible, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason why this is important is we often think about this just as kind of like unpaid work. I know that's what happens in the home, but we're showing there's these really, really clear health consequences. We also ask people whether they were supportive of free childcare or universalizing childcare. They were, the partisan gaps in this are disappearing. Um, and so the government, people want, the constituents of Australia want the government to step in, in ways that are not just male dominated. They're gonna start throwing lifelines out and we need to make sure that care and women's work is accounted for. Now I have said this now for a, a two weeks. And the interesting thing, as I said, two weeks ago, as the government is making decisions on who to save, because that is going to be the next step in a recovery, 
because we are about to hit a recession, right? And mm. we know that women are knocked out disproportionately. There's, you know, discussion about what this means for government, local government stepping up. They are going to start to throw out lifelines. We need to make sure they're not just throwing lifelines to male-dominated professions, right? They're not mm. taking away the childcare credit because that's a lifeline to women. You can't reskill. You can't enter the labor market. You can't run for office if your kids are under feet at all moments in time. But you cannot just throw lifelines to construction, right, to manufacturing. But as we see, what's happening right now is that's where the lifelines are going. Um, and the challenge is, is that it's, we, we realized women's labor was so vital the minute that schools closed down and people needed health care. Mm. This labor is vital no matter what, but this goes back to your original question about if we do not have people in positions of power, if women are not sitting on the local elections, they're not sitting in the federal elections, they're not up with the treasurer as he's making decisions about where to stimulate the recovery, if these voices are not being heard, then it makes sense the decisions are being made based on their own experiences. Yeah. And this is why local government is so important because it's a pipeline. It's a pipeline up and up and up, but for a lot of women, it's a pipeline that knocks them out, and we need to know why. Why is that happening, and how do we, how do we use evidence to make to support these women? And that's really the purpose of this grant. Those observations are frightening, really, aren't they? That 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 um, research that you've done during this pandemic, and and, and from a local government perspective, and I know that this isn't the focus of this particular research project. There are still only, I think, 20% of the CEOs in the sector are women in Victoria. So again, the CEOs have a critically important role to support the governance of that council, but also to lead and um, take leadership with some of the policies that are considered at the council. And if we don't have that parity where those policies are being developed, uh, we're, we're just going to continue to find ourselves in this in this same position. All right. So, um, given all of that, how do you propose to gather this information and conduct this research? What's the what's the process going to be? Well, I'll will start, Chris. Um, so the um, we need to start now. The answer is, as researchers, Andrea and I, we really want to do this based on empirical evidence, robust data, and the best methods that we could bring. Right. This is the advantage of partnering with the university. Um, and and we're the we are coming from some of the leading institutions in this country, right? So we want to bring that strength of expertise that is is so essential to getting this right, right? Not anecdotal evidence, but we want concrete empirical evidence. So because the election is coming up, we want to make sure that we're capturing people before they enter the race. We want to get an idea of what are the barriers, how has COVID affected decision making, and then we want to see kind of who ends up in and who doesn't, who ends up in and out. And then we want to follow them over time. Well, why that is so essential is if we have one snapshot, one moment in time, we cannot tell a story about causality, about what are really, how does it work? Does it spike? Does it peak? Are there ups and downs? Are there moments that are really hard? Is it accumulation? Is it the accumulation of the pressure of family demands? Is it an accumulation of the pressure of, you know, with the experiences within the job? Is it an accumulation of um, kind of, are people acting as, um, barriers or mentors or elevators, but if we can't look at people over time, we don't know how big each of these components is and what's the impact. So what was really integral to this process and what's really innovative in this process is we're taking people starting out 
we're collecting data on them at multiple time points, and then we're going to follow them all the way to the end. The wow. purpose is to build some sort of robust resource that can be used not just for Victoria local government, but also for all local governments and perhaps looking up at the state and federal level. That is really the goal, not just to do something to do something to do something, but to do something that has an empirical, a clear output that helps helps anyone else. Someone could pick up and look at and see what are the next steps for me, a real and true resource to mm. help women step in. So um, I'm thinking of Catherine's VLGA's running the tapper on the shoulder campaign, mm. and I've seen some great take up from women, some from men, but a lot, but not a lot, um, my observation. Is that an issue for you? Do you think there's a barrier to getting men to participate? Because you do want to compare the two experiences, don't you? I don't think it will be because one of our methodologies, we're going to combine methods between interviews and between uh, surveys. And we're hoping to, through this chat now, to make it um, clear what our research goals are and to see there's benefit for everyone in participating in this survey and the surveys won't be particularly onerous and I feel that um, men will get something out of this experience too not just women uh, and for us to be able to track what their decision making is and what might um, help them with their political careers or what might hinder them is also going to inform the way that we see what are going to be the obstacles or the opportunities for women as well. We might be able to learn from the male experience and adopt some of those to be able to help women do well. So I really hope that people who join local government are very community minded and I think they'll see the collective good in participating in this research. And um, if you are listening, please fill out the surveys when they come your way. Can I add another piece of, as someone who's um, studied gender for 20 years, I think it's always important to talk about these issues not as a gender war, right? This is not about elevating women over men or men versus women or, you know, punishing men in any way, shape or form, finger pointing. That's never the purpose of this. What we want to show is that there are really institutional differences or institutional barriers that, that can step into women's lives and men's lives, right? And at various moments in time, how do we document those so that we can then advocate for people who are in these positions. I also want to say too that the wonderful thing about men, we have a generation of men, younger men are more egalitarian, they're equal sharing, they want equality, right? They are our advocate. It's not men versus women, but this is a coming together of men and women together to advocate for um, greater equality, for happier lives, for better thriving communities, for healthier kids, for healthier families for equal distributions of power. So this is not a gender war per se. And because of that, men's participation is so essential. It's essential as both giving us the counterpoint to show what's working for them, but also because they're true advocates, right? These are our advocates, our participants, our friends, our et cetera. And so that's where it, it really is essential because we want to give voice to that as well. Can I, can I just also say that if we take, um, you know, if we extend this further, there are, significant economic benefits um, to have parity in, in our elected representative roles and also in the workplace, which uh, cannot be ignored. Um, and, and also this research perhaps will inform some systemic or provide recommendations for systemic barriers that might 
be there for both men and women in the local government sector and even perhaps at other levels. So there are some opportunities, I think, more broadly for this research project. So um, another process question, sorry. Um, so um, Andrea, you mentioned uh, when the survey comes people's way, just curious, how, how are you going to get to people? How will the survey reach them? Um, or are you relying on people to let you know that they're planning to run, for example? Well, this is the wonderful thing about having the partnership with the VLGA and why it's so crucial is that the VLGA already has these established networks to be able to reach out to people who are already in council looking to rerun come the October elections and also those that are considering um, being candidates. So we will work um, hand in glove with the VLGA to be able to reach men and women candidates and, um, and councillors to be able to track them over the course of the four years doing surveys twice a year to be able to do that. And then uh, also through the VLGA networks, doing some more granular research, either through focus groups or interviews to be able to hear that more qualitative experience of what women and men um, are feeling when they are elected to council or perhaps when they are knocked out, with what are the decision-making processes about putting their hand up again or deciding not to put their hand up again? Can I add another piece that I think is quite essential is that um, this pro the aim of this project is to be inclusive of the VLGA members, right, to share what we're finding, to disseminate our results, to hold stakeholder conferences, to really engage the VLGA members at multiple stages of the process. So your participation in it is essential from us from a research perspective, but when we find the results, the purpose of it will be to share it widely with the community, right? So these are not gonna be things that are held at the University of Melbourne that then just go into academic journals, right? The purpose of this is really to have a, have a dialogue, have a discussion with the VLGA members. So participation in that regard is really essential because we will then be able to share back how your experiences individual experiences aligned with those of kind of your peers and you'll be able to see that in real time through concrete mm. um, moments where we'll bring you together to talk about our results. I think it's a very exciting opportunity to build an evidence base that we just haven't had in the past. So uh, kudos to, to whoever's been involved with uh, developing this up. I really look forward to hearing more about it and perhaps on future VLGA Connects we can uh, check in on, on progress. So we'll need to wrap it up there. So Leah Rupana from the University of Melbourne, thank you. Andrea Carson from La Trobe. And as always, Catherine Arts, CEO of the VLGA, thank you for joining us today. We've been speaking today on VLGA Connect about a very exciting new research project that will run through the campaign for this year's elections and the entire electoral cycle over the next four years. It's called Women in Local Government, Understanding Their Political Trajectories. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon on another episode of VLGA Connect. <laughs>